Welcome to the Family Life Church Podcast. We hope you're blessed and encouraged to share this with someone you know. Subscribe or visit thefamilylife.org for more information. Verse 11. And Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that belongs to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. And he took his journey into a far country. And there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a great famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And the citizen of that country sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly. He would have been glad to fill his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. No man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring a fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son, this my son was dead and is alive again, he was lost, and now is found, and they began to be merry, amen. Would you put your Bibles down and love the Lord one more time with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, Lord, I lean not to my own understanding, but in all my ways, I want to acknowledge you today, God. I want to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, Lord. I acknowledge my weaknesses, Lord. We acknowledge our weaknesses, Lord, but we know that when we are weak, we are strong for your powers made perfect in weakness. I will therefore gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon my shoulders. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I'm leaning into your grace today, and I'm looking for a father who's looking for me. I bless you, and I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you put your hands together and love God, praise him, worship him, glorify him. Amen, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Staggering and stumbling, the younger son fought, as younger sons do, they fight. I am one, I can say that. He fought to steady himself, to stay his stance until he arrived back at those porch steps of his father's house, the ones that he played on as a boy, this home that he had known 
as a son growing up. But now, now things were a bit different. Now he was willing to do whatever it took just to be accepted back as a hireling. If he could just convince his father to take him back as a servant, then that would be enough. Not a son. Not a son. Not a son. But a servant. Because to him, the possibility of ever being called son again, it just wasn't in the cards for his future. He was prepared to relegate that deep desire to the recesses and the corners of his heart, never again to be awakened or summoned. In fact, he didn't even consider it as a part of his plan in returning to his father's house. For this, as we just read, was his plan. This is what he said that he would do. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Haven't we all prayed a prayer like that one at some point in our lives? I'm not worthy to be counted as your son anymore. I'm not worthy to be called your daughter. I'm not worthy to be one of your children, to represent you and to bear your name. Not after where I've been. Not after what I've done. Not after who I've been with. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. As if he were worthy to begin with. But he went on and he said, make me instead as one of your hired servants. In other words, he was saying, I'll work for my wage this time. And maybe I'll even pay back some of what I lost. I'll earn my keep. This way, Father, nobody else gets hurt. Nobody else is implicated, Father. This way, Father, I won't disappoint your heart again by squandering my inheritance. He was ready to rule out his sonship and to serve instead working for a wage and paying off a debt that in reality he could never pay. He had already disqualified himself of his former status of a son because after all, he had wasted, he had squandered, he had spent all of his inheritance in a far-off country and on riotous living. Is not this then what he deserved for his status to be reduced from that of a son to that of a servant? Sure, it's what he deserved. Absolutely. Soon, though, and to his surprise, he would see a father in the distance. He would see a father seeing him. He would see a father looking at him. But not only looking at him, he would see a father running to meet him before his arrival. Not after the fact of his arrival, not at the point of his arrival, but before his arrival. That when he was yet a great way off, the father saw him, had compassion on him, ran to him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. This is an image of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. This is a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he who knew no sin, he who was perfectly obedient to the will of God became like sinful flesh for us that we might be made the righteousness 
of God in him. That the Father put on flesh. That the Father ran. That Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, and took on him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and being found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In its most basic form, this is a word picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Father incarnate ran, that the Father put on flesh and ran to you and me in our most desperate and dire point of need. The Father ran. That as well, this is significant of the oneness of God, that the Father ran, that the Father came to this earth and reconciled this world to himself. The Father, he ran with arms wide open in anticipation of this moment that his boy was back. That was all that really mattered, that his son was home. But where a reception of rejection was the son's fear and even his expectation, rejoicing was the reality that he was met with. The more that I walk with the Lord, the less that I am questioning why the Lord sticks with me, the less I am challenging the Lord on that. Instead, I am choosing to believe that grace is actually amazing. What a novel idea that God really is as good as He says that He is. That He really is full of grace and mercy and steadfast in His love and long-suffering and patient toward me. The more that I walk with the Lord, the less that I am questioning the Lord. Instead, I am choosing to believe that God really is God and that God really is good. That He's a Father who is running for me, looking for me in the distance. Look at what the Father said in response to His Son's return in Luke 15 and 24. He said, for this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. And then they began to be merry. They rejoiced. They threw a party. This teaches us that grace, that salvation, should always lead us to a place of joy. Grace should always lead us to a place of joy in the Father's arms, in the Father's presence, that in His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. But understand that the Son, He was not merely welcomed home with restoration. He was welcomed home with a celebration, because the appropriate response to repentance And restoration is always, every time, rejoicing and celebration. That it is a joyous occasion when a sinner comes home. It is a joyous occasion when somebody who has walked away from the Lord comes back to him and prays through. That's when you go to the Dollar General. 
and you pick up some silly string. You buy some party favors and some party hats and some party poppers and you invite everybody over. You go out to FedEx Kinko's and you get a big banner printed out that says, welcome home so-and-so because this my son who was lost and dead in his trespasses is now alive in me and forevermore. The appropriate response to repentance and restoration is always rejoicing and celebration. And that's what Jesus was getting at. In Luke 15, that's what these three parables in one parable are to teach us. And that is the appropriate reaction to that which was lost being found. And that is joy. That Jesus said joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. You want to know what moves the heart of God? What moves the heart of the Father? You want to know what gets a hold of God? You want to know what gets God's attention? It's not perfect obedience. It's brokenness. It's repentance. It's humility. It's confession. It's tenderness. It's contrition that a broken and a contrite heart the Lord will not despise, which is to say that every time and always he will draw near to those who draw near to him in humility, that he gives more grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. That's what moves and gets a hold of the heart of God is our repentance, is our running to meet him. Look at this sequence again, that when the father saw him, When he was yet a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion on him. That something about the father seeing his son moved his heart towards compassion. Something about the father. I don't know if it was that he saw himself in his son. That when he looks at us, he sees us who are made in his image. And something about that moves him to say that this is my son. This is my daughter. And it causes him to run and to meet us at our most desperate and broken point of need. That's what moves the heart of God. Repentance moves the heart of God. So when a sinner repents, it is not a time for awkward silence or silent cynicism. It is not a time for distant judging. But when a sinner repents, it is a time for gratitude and glory in the family of God. And we rejoice with others. You and I, we rejoice with others as if it were our own family member who has come back home. Because in essence and in reality, it is our own family member who has come back home. Because when you were baptized in the name of Jesus, you were baptized in the blood of Jesus. You were baptized in the name of Jesus and the nature of Jesus. And that's why we call each other brother and sister. That it's not some cultural thing. But it's a yeah. theological thing. That's right. That's right. And so the appropriate response to repentance and restoration is always yes. rejoicing yes. and celebration. Yes. Pastor preached last week about how it was his hunger that led him home. Uh-huh. That it was a blessing for him to be hungry. It was his desire and desperation that picked him up and caused him to say, I will arise and go to my father's house. Why settle for this husks with pigs when I can be at my father's table dining with my father's family, right? It was his hunger that led him home. But that hunger and that desire 
They were rooted in his memory of what it was like to be in his father's house. That you don't know what it is to be hungry unless you have something to compare it to. You don't know what it is to experience hunger unless you've experienced what it is to be full. You don't know what it is to experience thirst unless you've experienced what it is to have that thirst quenched and satisfied. And so I say that to say this, that the greatest evangelist to that of a backslider, it is not you and me, but it's the memories, it's the experiences that that person has had in the Father's house. It's the encounters with the Holy Ghost that that person has had in the Father's house. Yes, it was his desire and it was his hunger that caused him to say, I will arise and go to my father's house. But that desire and that hunger were rooted in memories of what he experienced in the father's house. That I will arise and go to the father's house because I remember what it was like to be in the father's house. That's the greatest evangelist to that of a backslider. It's the encounters with the Holy Ghost that that person has had in an altar. It's worship experiences. It's prayer services. It's fellowship after church. That's what stirs somebody's heart to say, I remember it. It was better. It was better then than it is right now. And so I'm going to arise and I'm going to go to my father's house. I remember Brother Peterson telling me not too long ago that when he was at Mississippi State College, and I asked him permission to share this with you today. When he was at Mississippi State College, this is when he, before he went to IBC, his dad would call him every week. At the time, Brother Peterson wasn't living for the Lord. You could say he believed in the Lord, but by all accounts, he was backslid, right? Dave Peterson, who was a great man, called him every week, and he would say, I'm praying for you, son. I love you, son. you got a call of God on your life. God's going to use you to minister to people and to preach to people. And I'm sure Brother Ryan was like, yeah, Dad, I, I appreciate it. Thanks, Dad. But over the course of time, those calls had a cumulative effect on Ryan's life that eventually tipped the scale in his life to where he said, I will arise and go to my father's house because somebody reminded me of what it's like to be in my father's house. And that's where you and I serve a purpose. While the greatest evangelist to that of a backslider are the experiences and encounters with the Holy Ghost that a backslider has had, you and I were the servants who remind them of what it is like to sit at the father's table in the name of Jesus. That hunger, that thirst, it was rooted in a memory of what it was like to be filled, to be satisfied. Listen, there is nothing like the Holy Ghost. If it weren't for the Holy Ghost, we wouldn't be here today. We'd have no reason to come here today. Jesus' name. The prodigal, he came home hoping that he might be accepted back as a servant when the father called him son. This, my son, This teaches us that God's love for us is hard to accept because it often flies in the face of what we believe about ourselves. It's difficult to swallow because it challenges our most deeply seated beliefs and convictions about ourselves. Because shame, shame conditions us to accept the love that we think we deserve. And like a dog returning to its vomit, we go back to old habits, old sins and former relationships, not because we believe that they will ever satisfy us or that they can even save us. I think most of us have learned by now that our bad habits and ill relationships cannot save us. 
and they cannot satisfy us. But we go back to them simply because we believe that they are what we deserve. And we return to shame because shame tells us that shame is home. We return to shame because shame tells us that shame is what we deserve and we ultimately miss the blessing that the Father wants to bless us with because of it. This was the internal dialogue that was happening in the son's heart. When he said that I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me instead of one of your hired servants. You see, shame was telling him to see his sin. And that's the same story today, that shame tells us to see our sin. That shame says, show me your sin and I will show you you. Show me what you have done and I will show you what you look like. Show me where you have been, Chase, and I will show you who you are. But the gospel, the gospel says, show me your sin and I will show you Jesus' wounds. The gospel says, show me your sin and I will show you Jesus' scars. The gospel says, show me your sin and I will show you Jesus' blood. In other words, shame asks us to see ourselves, but the gospel asks us to lay ourselves down and to see the cross instead, to see Jesus hanging on it. That the gospel asks us to see that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That the gospel asks us to see that while we were yet sinners, that when we were yet a great way off, the Father saw us and Jesus came for us and he died for us, the ungodly, the gospel. It asks us to see that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world or to kill the world or to destroy the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. The gospel, it asks you to look beyond your sins into a savior. It asks you to look beyond your faults into a father who's running to meet you where you are. But we are all so prone and so weak to experiencing shame and condemnation. And some of us have even possessed it and inhabit it and walk around with it, feeling it everywhere that we go. We're prone to this because we subconsciously think that by bearing the weight of these, we might pay the price of them. And with the younger son, we say, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. I'm no more worthy to be considered your daughter. Make me instead of one of your servants. We all do this. We have all done this. You may have done this this week. But when we do this, when we insist on enduring shame and condemnation and guilt, when we insist on being called servants, when God is clearly calling us to be sons and daughters, when we do this, we are essentially saying that our blood is more sufficient than Jesus' blood. And without meaning to, we commit this indirect form of idolatry by taking Jesus off of the cross and by putting ourselves there instead, thinking that our blood is sufficient, thinking that we can pay the wage and pay the price. And so condemnation and shame, they cannot absolve you or save you from your sins. They only perpetuate it like a dog returning to its vomit, like a dog going back to the thing that it just dispensed of. When Jesus is saying, son, Jesus is saying, daughter, you cannot save yourself. 
You cannot rescue you from you. You don't have the will. You don't have the strength. You can't white knuckle your way to obedience. You can't pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can't rescue you. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm chapter 60 that vain is the salvation of man. You need the blood of the lamb to saturate your life and to wash you of your shame and your guilt and the condemnation that you've been possessing for far too long. And that's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus doesn't just want to remove the shame and the guilt from your life, but he wants to replace the shame and the guilt in your life with garments, with adornments of his grace and his mercy. That he wants to give you beauty for ashes, strength for fear, joy for mourning, peace for despair. He doesn't just want to wash you. He doesn't just want to stop there. But he wants to give you his blessing Luke 15 and 22 and 23. This is the first thing that the father did upon his son's return. He turned to his servants and he said, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The best robe. It was a specific robe. Go and get that robe and bring that robe here and put that robe on his shoulders. And that robe, it represented simply the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that robe is available for you today. That he wants to clothe you with his righteousness. That he wants to cover you with his blood. That he wants to put his name and his identity at stake for you. Go and get the best robe and bring it back here and put it on his shoulders. And that's where you and I come in. It was the servants who were to put it on his shoulders. And grab the ring. You know that ring that I left on my dresser? That one. Grab it. Bring it. Put it on his hand. And that ring, it was the authority of Jesus. That ring, it represented the Holy Ghost. And it's available for you today too. And maybe you've already been filled with the Holy Ghost, but I think some of us could use a refilling of the Holy Ghost. That he wants to refill you with his spirit and give his authority his signet, his sign, his name back to you so that you can go out and into the world and work wonders and do exploits for his kingdom. Get the robe. Get the ring. And then the shoes, the ones I left by the door, they've been there the whole time. He's been gone. Grab those shoes and put the shoes on him. And those shoes represented purpose and calling that he wants to restore you to your purpose and your calling, that he wants to make you look civilized, that he wants to make you look like you are one of his, that he wants to clothe you with the best robe and a ring of authority and shoes for your feet so that you can go and represent him and do his bidding in the earth. The good news today is that Jesus, he doesn't just want to remove the shame and the guilt from your life. He wants to replace them with garments of his grace and mercy. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Who shall deliver me from this body of death, Paul said. Who's going to save me from my shame, guilt, and condemnation? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. For there is therefore now no 
condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Why settle for a servant when he's calling you to be a son and a daughter? Would you stand with me? Musicians, you can come. Right where you're at, would you just lift your hand for a moment? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your word would accomplish the thing that you sent it out to accomplish, God. Lord Jesus, that you would renew somebody's mind and renew somebody's spirit in the Holy Ghost, God. We don't know what kind of fruit this may bear today. We know that the ending is a little different, God. But we believe, Jesus, that it will not return void, God. That your word has gone forth, God. And I pray that the Holy Ghost would seal it, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, somebody has been accepting a status of servant, God, when you've been calling them to be sons and daughters in you, Lord. Renew their confidence, Lord. Renew their security, Lord. I bind fear and condemnation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I release faith, Lord. I release identity. I release security, Lord. That we would begin to speak the Word of God. That we would not just receive the Word of God, Lord, but that we would take action with the Word of God and let the enemy know, Lord, what is the truth because it's the truth that makes us free, Lord. And you said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Lord, I pray that you would sanctify us in yourself, Lord. It's the only way that we can be saved. It's the only way that we can be sons. It's the only way that we can be daughters, Lord. If we're clothed in your righteousness, if we're filled with your authority, with the gift of the Holy Ghost, Lord, so that we can go, Jesus, and be components in your will and in your plan to establish your kingdom on this earth. I pray that something would resonate in the heart of somebody. I pray, Lord, that they would have a revelation, Lord, an epiphany in their spirit, God, and that they would walk away changed. That if today they need to return to you and repent, Lord, that they will say, I will arise and go to my Father's house because I remember what it's like to feel the Holy Ghost. I remember what it's like to know you, Lord, and I've lost you a little bit, God, and I want to come back to you, Lord, and I know that you want to come back for me. Jesus' name. I believe that the Lord wants to do a healing work in somebody's life today. I believe he wants to wrap up some internal wounds, that he's the balm of Gilead, that he wants to put his spirit on you and bless you and love you. But here's the thing, in order for us to be healed, we have to be willing to reveal that which it is that we need to be healed. That he cannot heal what we won't reveal there's this beautiful story in Mark chapter 3. It's a really small portion of Scripture, but it's one of my favorites. It's about a man with a withered hand. Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. There are Pharisees there, legalistic men who are watching to see if Jesus will violate Sabbath laws. But most importantly, there's a man with a withered hand there, and Jesus sees him and focuses on him. And he gives the man two commands, right? Two really simple commands. The first one is he says, stand forth. In other words, step out into the light, present yourself. Yeah. And then secondly, he says, stretch forth thine hand. The man stretches out his hand. Yeah. And Jesus restores it, whole as the other hand. But here's the unique thing about it. Jesus was unspecific about which hand it was that the man was to stretch out. You may say that's rhetorical, that's obvious, it's the withered hand, I agree with you. But I believe that Jesus was intentionally unspecific about which hand 
the man was to stretch out because he wanted this man to demonstrate faith. He wanted this man to reveal so that he could perform a healing. And so you and I, every Sunday, we are faced with a decision. Are we going to stretch out our whole hand? The parts about us that we don't despise, that we like and maybe even other people accept and approve of as well? Or are you gonna say, you don't even have to look. You can just say, God, I'm ashamed of this. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of other people seeing this. But Lord, you're my wonderful counselor. You're a mighty God. You're an everlasting Father. You're the Prince of Peace, Lord. And so I'm putting my withered hand, God. I'm putting my shame. I'm putting my condemnation. I'm putting my guilt. In fact, it's not mine anymore, Lord. It's yours, for it was nailed on a cross. Lord, you bore our sins. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder if one more time we have an opportunity to respond here for a few moments. You could reach out your withered hand and say, Lord, I give it to you. I trust in you, Lord. Whatever you want to do in my life, God, I want, to, I want it to happen. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the moment, Lord. I don't want to miss, Lord, you calling me son. I don't want to miss you calling me daughter. That he wants to do a restorative work in somebody's life today, but you need to be able to reveal that which he's wanting to heal. You need to be able to let go of that thing that he wants to take care of in your life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.